Every journey begins with a single step. I really resonate with what he had to say about standing in front of a mountain and looking at the task in front of you and realizing just how big that mountain really is and how long this road is going to be. Uh, it was the first New Year's after my wife and I were married. Um, we'd been married for about six months, and, and I had decided for my New Year's resolution, I was going to start working out again. You know, there was a point in my life where I had been pretty diligent about that, and it had borne some fruit, but life got in the way, and you know, things just went by the wayside. I fell out of the habit. So January 2, I decided this was the day I was going to get started, and I had this big workout routine all mapped out, you know, and it was just, it was going to get me in shape, because I was going to look good for my lady. And so I woke up 5 a.m., and I, you know, I got started. I, I ate some breakfast because I was hungry, but I didn't want anything too heavy, like eggs or bacon or anything, because I thought, hmm, that's going to sit like a rock. So I ate oatmeal. I thought that was pretty safe. And after breakfast, I hit it, man, and I hit it hard. Squats, dips, crunches, weights, it was just this full body blitz. And I got about a half hour into it, and I started to feel really hot and sweaty. But not like exercise hot and sweaty. Like, I need to get to a bathroom hot and sweaty. And that's when breakfast made a return, and that Quaker Oats guy looks really friendly on the box, but he's mean. And he brought me to my knees, and I kissed the porcelain. And, you know, it was one of those times it just, oh, I felt so bad. And afterwards, I was just all weak and shaky, and so I laid on the couch and passed out for about an hour. So that was day one of my workout routine. There was no day two, by the way. Um, I stood at the base of that mountain and realized it was going to demand a little bit more from me than I was prepared to give. I had not mapped out this road as well as I'd thought. And I just kept thinking to myself, if this is day one, how am I ever going to make it to day 100? And I wish I had known then what I know now, what this guy was saying in the video. Success doesn't come to those who look at the entirety of a task and go, oh, that's so big. It comes to those who are able to take a big task and break it down into small, manageable steps. In other words, I didn't need to worry about day 100. I just needed to worry about day two. I just needed to look at what my next step was, what comes next. We started a series last week called Next, and it's about that question. What comes next? What is the next step that we're taking? Last week, we focused really on the personal aspect of that question, and, and we asked, what's next for me? You know, what, what is the personal step that God is calling you to take this year? If you weren't here uh, for whatever reason, maybe you, you missed it, maybe you slept in, probably the weather kept a lot of people out, I'd encourage you to go back to the podcast, listen to last week's sermon, to be worth your time. But this week, we're going to move on, we're going to broaden that question a little bit. We're asking, what's next for us here at FCC? What's the next step that God is calling us to? This is a question that the leaders of this church have been praying over and thinking about for a while now. And we're excited this morning to share with you what we believe the answer God has given us is. And it's a big step. And to help us understand that step a little bit and to appreciate the convictions that have brought us to this conclusion, we're going to be looking at a story from the book of Matthew, chapter 14. 
So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. You can follow along on the screen behind. Or if you haven't already, I would encourage you to go ahead and download the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device. That's Y-O-U version. You can find a version of Scripture that makes the most sense to you. You can take notes. We, we upload sermon notes every week. There are daily devotionals and reading plans. It's just a great app to have at your fingertips. Whatever method you choose, though, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 22, and it starts like this, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dis- dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, which is sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., so during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So a little bit of context Help us understand this. Jesus has just performed a pretty incredible miracle just prior to this. He fed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two dinky little fish. And so needless to say, people were very impressed. They wanted to stand around and talk for a while, but Jesus had other stuff to do because he's a very important guy. So he told his disciples, get in the boat. You guys head across to the other side. I'll catch up. Don't worry about how. Just go. I'll take care of the crowds. And so he dismisses the crowds, and he's got some time, so he goes up to the mountain, and he he prays by himself for a little while, just takes some personal time. Meanwhile, the guys at the boat get caught off guard by the storm that just kind of swoops in that he didn't really see coming. It wasn't uncommon at that time, given the, the, the region and the geography. And so the storm is, is you know, splashing water all over the place, and the wind is blowing, and the, the mist and the sprays hitting him in the face. And, and it's a pretty terrifying thing. If you've ever been in a boat in the middle of a storm, you know it's not a fun experience because you're vulnerable and you're exposed And frankly, the waves are going to have their way with you, and there's nothing you can do about it except just hold on and pray you don't fall off. This was a scary thing. And about this time, the sun's probably starting to just crest over the horizon. They look out, and through the mist and the spray and the waves, they see this figure just kind of coming to them across the water, and they're afraid. Now, it's Jesus performing another miracle. He's he's walking on water, but instead of seeing that, they say, oh, it's a ghost, And the word that they use there in the Greek, if you're not familiar, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The word that's originally used there doesn't really mix any metaphors. It's not a spirit. It's not an angel or anything holy that they're confusing Jesus as. It's a ghost. The word that's used is phantasma. It's where we get our English word for phantom. So they look out and they see Jesus and think that he is a dead spirit coming across the water to get them, I guess. I'm not sure. But Jesus is very quick. He says, no, no, not a dead thing. It's just me. Calm down, everybody, just calm down. And that's kind of an important detail that we need to stop and reflect on a little bit. And it may seem like a silly thing, but it actually says a lot about the convictions that have led us to this this understanding of where God's calling us in the future. You see, we at FCC, we worship a living Jesus, and we refuse to treat him as if he were a dead and gone spirit. We will not treat him as if he's dead. Because he's alive. 
Now, the disciples in this story, they mistake that. They treat Jesus as if he is dead, as if he's gone, as if he's a dead thing. We will never do that. And, and you may be saying, you know, Jordan, you're being a little harsh on these guys. They were terrified. They're in the middle of a storm. And you're right. I'm probably being too tough on them. But the reality is that there are too many people, Christian people, Jesus followers today, who make this same mistake. And it's not because they're afraid. It's because they're confused or worse yet, they really don't understand who Jesus is to begin with. He is not some dead and gone figure of the past, and he is not some departed spirit. He is a living Jesus. And it's important that we understand that distinction because it impacts the way that we follow him and the way that we serve him today. Because frankly speaking, you treat dead people differently than you treat living people. A couple of ways we do that. For instance, dead people can be ignored and they're not going to take any offense to it. And I don't mean to be crass when I say that, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. I mean that in a very literal way. The departed are not going to be offended if we ignore their words. But the living will. For example, my grandfather, he passed away several years ago. I went to go see him in the hospital, and, and we all knew that he, these were his final hours. He knew it, I knew it. So I knew these would be some of his last words. And, and they involved a box, at his house. And inside that box were a lot of Bibles that had belonged to my grandmother. And he said, I want you to have those, those Bibles. Take that box. And I said, okay, Grandpa, I'll take the box. And so after his funeral, I went to his house, and I found that box of Bibles. And I ignored what my grandfather said. I gave those Bibles to my cousin because he was a fairly new Christian. I had a bunch of Bibles already. He was going to get way more use out of them. I ignored my grandfather's final words to me. And you know what? It didn't bother him, and he wasn't offended, and he wasn't upset about it because he had gone to be with Jesus, and he was a-okay. The words of the departed can be ignored without any consequence or offense, but if I were to ignore the words of my wife, that would be a very different story. There would be consequence, and there would be offense taken, okay? That's just one important difference between how we treat the living and how we treat the departed, and Jesus falls into that, that category of the living. He makes statements. He says things. He makes commands and demands of our lives. He says, come and follow me. Serve me. You know, he, this is somebody who came from heaven to rescue us from our sins because we were trapped in this hole we couldn't crawl out of. We were separated from God. And so he laid down his life and he washed us clean and he pulled us out of that hole and he brought us back to God, washed clean, new, innocent, so we could stand before God without fear and have a relationship with him. And Jesus doesn't make any bones about it. He says, you need what I'm offering. In fact, he says in, in John 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man and no woman and no person comes to the Father except through me. It's a very exclusive claim that only he has the right to make. Jesus makes commands and demands of our lives to come and to follow, and, and we can treat him as if he's some dead and gone figure of the past and remember him fondly as if some of his words have some nice morals to teach, but there will be consequences to ignoring those words because we don't worship a dead Jesus. We worship a living Jesus, and we refuse to treat him as if he were dead and gone. There's another way that we treat dead people differently than living people. We remember the dead by looking to the past, by remembering yesterday. We honor the living by looking to today and experiencing what's happening in the present. Case in point, you look at our calendar, we've got a lot of days of remembrance. We've got President's Day 
and Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Memorial Day. And each of those are days designated for us to remember the past, to look back and to honor those who, who were in the past, the, those who have departed the deceased. We honor those who have gone by looking back. But I don't honor my family and you don't honor your family by looking to the past. You honor them by being in the present and experiencing what's happening today. Case in point, my son, uh, he, we learned very recently that not only can he now crawl out of his crib, but he can also open his bedroom door. And we learned this. It was Christmas Eve. Um, I just put him down for bed. Lindsay was in the living room reading a book. I was just finishing up dishes, so the house was very quiet. And I just heard this little voice behind me say, Hi. And here's my son, just big smile, sashaying through the kitchen like he owns the place. And I couldn't even be upset because it was just so stinking adorable. But that's what I'm talking about. We experience those kinds of things every day. But if I spend my time looking at the past, longing for yesterday, trying to remember what once was, I'm going to miss everything happening right in front of my face. And I dishonor my family. I dishonor the living when I spend my time in the past. And the same is true with Jesus. If Jesus were dead and gone, and we think of him as that way, we're going to spend our time looking backwards at the pages of Scripture saying, man, I wish I could have been a part of something like that. And I wish I could have experienced the work and the power of Jesus like that. All the while, we miss the work and the power of Jesus that's happening in our lives and in our world today, right in front of our face We honor the dead by looking backwards. We honor the living and we honor Christ by looking at the present and being a part of what he's doing today. We don't want to be a church that exists just to exist. We don't want to be a church that looks backwards and longs to be a part of what Jesus used to do. We want to be a church that lives. And we want to be a part of this this movement and this thing that Jesus is doing right now, today, in our lives, in our world, and in our community. And that's why we refuse to treat Jesus as if he were dead, because we worship a living Jesus. We want to be a living church. And we believe that that requires of us a living faith. And that actually brings us back to our story, if you want to look back at Matthew 14. Just a reminder, the disciples are on this, this boat in the middle of a storm, and Jesus has walked on water out to them. And Peter now speaks up in verse 28. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Now, when Peter says, Lord, if it's you, realize he's not really asking, is this Jesus or not? He has no confusion about who this really is. Remember the situation he's in. He's on a boat in the middle of the storm. The wind is about to push him overboard. The water's hitting him in the face. He sees the lightning. He hears the thunder. And now he's just said this kind of insane statement that if asked, I'm just going to step off of the only thing keeping me alive into almost certain death. You're not going to say something like that unless you're pretty convinced this really is Jesus. His question is not, who is this? His question is, can I be a part of this? Jesus, can I stand out there on the water with you? That's his real question. And it took some faith to speak those words and to ask that question. You know, that's a speaking faith. Peter understands this is not a dead spirit. This is a living Jesus, and I want to be a part of what he's doing. It takes faith to say, Jesus, I believe, and I trust you, and I want to be involved. But now Peter has this new crisis at his footsteps. Because now Jesus says, okay, come on out. 
You see, it's one thing to speak words of faith, but now Peter needs a faith that walks. He needs an active faith that's actually going to get out of the boat and take that step. Oh, oh you, you, um, you actually want me to do that? Um, I kind of picture Peter being at, at one of those base in the mountain moments. You know, because previously he had imagined himself at the top of the mountain, standing out there in the waters of Jesus, high-fiving, celebrating, having a great time. But now Jesus has said, okay, Peter, take your step. And now he's at the base of the mountain, realizing that there is a lot of distance between he and Jesus. And this is going to be a difficult journey. And he's really coming to terms with the task at hand. He understands this is going to take a living faith. And that's where we have to come back to our story because we actually see ourselves in this part of the passage as well. We've already said here at FCC, we worship a living Jesus. We will not treat him as if he's dead. And we believe that worshiping a living Jesus requires and demands of us a living faith, the kind of faith that's willing to take that step and get out of the boat. And we believe that with every fiber of our being. The words fail to be enough when it comes to following Christ. And so we've been asking the question, what does that look like for us? And what does it mean for FCC to get out of the boat? And as we've been praying on this and talking about it, God started to show us and make it pretty clear that for us to get out of the boat will not require one single step. It will require 10,000 steps. And so that's what we're going to do. Over the next five years, FCC, we in this room are committing ourselves to leading the people of Warren County 10,000 steps closer to Christ, 10,000 steps closer to this living Jesus. I'm going to give you a minute to let that sink in because that's a big number. And there are probably a lot of questions that you're probably asking yourself right now, and we'll get to those. But right now, I want to say that probably most of you have reacted to this in some way already. Some of you are all in, 110%. Like, I don't even need to go any further. You're in. In fact, you're, you want church to be done now so that we can get busy because there's a lot of work to do. And if that's you, thank you for your enthusiasm. But just hold on a second. There are some of us in here that, that hearing this, you, you're out. And for whatever reason, it's just not something you have any desire to be a part of. And nothing I say today, tomorrow, next year is going to change your mind. And if that's you, I want you to know we love you. We are happy you worship with us. We hope you continue to worship with us. But I want to kindly ask that you not get in the way. Because God has put something in front of us that we refuse to back down from. This is a step that we have to take. And we're going to take it. The vast majority of us, though, probably fall somewhere in the middle. And we, we visualize ourselves at the top of the mountain, and we like the way this sounds. You know, we, we want to be here five years from now and look out and see communities changed. And we want to see the way that God has healed families, and we want to see the way that God has changed lives, and we want to be a part of that. We like the idea, but we also find ourselves at the base of the mountain, looking up and realizing this is a big journey. That's a big number, and I'm not real sure how we're going to do this. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. I was in that same spot. As this started to become clear and we started to understand that this is the vision that God has given us and the direction that he's calling us to, 
I had that same question of, okay, but what does that look like? How are we going to do that? And so we did what this video talked about. We didn't get the idea from them, but we started breaking this huge monolithic task down in, into small, manageable steps. And as we started to break this down more and more, it got more and more exciting because we started to realize and started to believe this can happen. And we get the chance to be a part of something incredible that is going to change this county and these communities. And so this morning, I just want to invite you to imagine and to dream with me a little bit about what this place will look like five years from now when 10,000 steps have been taken and God has changed this place. I want you to imagine five years from now having baptized 200 people. And I know that sounds like a lot, but it's really not because there are over 9,800 people in Warren County, according to the U.S. Census, that claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. And it really, it's more than that, but that number is just easier for me to remember. 9,800, is it really so hard to believe that we might have a part in reaching just 200 of those people and helping them find a real saving relationship with Jesus. I don't really think it is. That's such a small percentage of the possible people out there. Church, this is doable. I want you to imagine five years from now having had 1,000 first-time visitors come through our doors. For those 9,800 people, just coming to a Sunday morning worship service is a big step closer to Jesus. Imagine if we get to be a part of helping 1,000 of those people take that step. And that sounds like a big number too, 1,000. But when you start breaking it down every Sunday in five years, it boils down to 3.8 people a Sunday. It's not even four whole people. It's like one family. How many of you know one family right now that isn't going to church anywhere? Church, this is doable. I want you to imagine adding 200 members to this church in five years. And when I say members, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about the kind of membership that means I put my name on the member roll and now I get to come to the annual meeting and the business meeting and so on. I'll, I'll be honest with you, that has a place, but I don't care about that. I'm talking about the kind of membership where somebody says, I want to be a part of what this church is doing. And I'm going to commit my time and I'm going to commit my energy and I'm going to commit my resources to serving God alongside these people because I want to be a part of this. Imagine what God would do with 200 people who share that kind of commitment. Work just got a whole lot easier, didn't it? I want you to imagine what it might be like to help 100 people who at one point had faith, but for whatever reason, it fell by the wayside, help 100 people recommit their life to Jesus and get back on track. That is more than doable. Since I've been here, we've had like four or five. We can do this. This one's my favorite. I want you to imagine, okay? You imagine how your faith might be different, how your family might be different, how your workplace, your circle of friends might be different. If in five years, as a church, we were responsible for initiating over 5,000 Jesus conversations. Those conversations, it's not even 5,000 different people, just 5,000 conversations where we talk about one of the most significant and influential parts of our existence, how might that change you to get vocal about your faith? How that, might that change your family to start talking about your faith? And again, 5,000, huge number, right? But really, that's not the number you need to worry about. The number that, that you need to take home and write on your bathroom mirror is this one, four. Because of every one of us who attend this church with any regularity, 
had just four conversations a year where we said, look, I'm sorry your life stinks right now. When things are tough for me, I go to Jesus and here's why. If just four times a year we had these conversations, we'd reach 5,000 without breaking a sweat. Are you starting to see just how achievable this is? If we just have the courage to get out of the boat. Church, none of this is impossible. None of this is beyond us. We can be a part of something incredible that God wants to work in this county and in the lives of these people. And when you start to grasp just how how realistic these goals are, I can say things like we're going to leave 400 people through Rooted and help them have a foundation for discipleship and depth in their life. And you understand that we can do that. And I can say things like we're going to help 400 people get plugged into a small group so that they have a faith community that's going to encourage them and help them to grow and support them in this journey. You understand this is achievable. And I can say things like we're going to help 200 people find financial freedom and be released from the bondage of debt so that they can practice the kind of life and the kind of generosity that God desires for them. And I can say that we're going to help 100 marriages be enriched. And maybe that means saving a marriage. Maybe that just means making it better. But in the name of Jesus, we're going to start caring about the families and the marriages of this county and making them richer. We're going to help people take 1,500 personal spiritual growth steps. And these are the kinds of things that programs can't facilitate. These are the work of the Holy Spirit as he encourages us to forgive those that maybe we've been holding grudges against. And to kick the sins that we've held on to for too long. These are the kinds of things that God wants to see flourish and blossom in people's lives. And we will not rest until we help them take these steps. We're going to send 500 people into this community, 500 different individuals, just to love on it. To serve it through acts of volunteerism and community service. Just so this place knows we're not a church that just wants you to come and sit in a room and and put your money in a plate. We love you and we want you to know the love of God in practical ways. We're going to help 100 people get plugged in here to be ministry partners at the various ministries that we sponsor and that we're a part of. Church, we're serious about this. We're getting out of the boat and we're getting busy. And none of these goals are beyond the realm of possibility. I want you to understand, too, that none of these goals are about building a bigger church or about putting more butts in seats. We're on this journey because we believe in a living Jesus who has called us to practice a living faith and to be a living church. And we want the people of Warren County to know that living Jesus. We want to introduce them to him so that he can start to change their families and their marriages. And he can help them kick their addictions. And he, they can have eternal life through this living Jesus who died to set them free. This is not a Jesus who died on the cross and stayed dead. He kicked death in the teeth and walked out of a tomb alive. And he calls us to be alive as well. So that's what we're going to do. Over the next five years, we're getting out of the boat. And we are going to help this county take 10,000 steps closer to that living Jesus. And maybe right now you've got a voice in your head that's saying, but what if we fail? What if we fall short? We don't hit those numbers. I'm going to be honest with you. I had the same voice. This has been a journey and a process for us. But pretty soon after that voice started to speak, I had another voice that said, shut up. Who cares? I mean, really, you look at the story. Peter failed too. Look back at it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. We'll start back up. Verse 29, he said, Come, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Verse 30, But when he saw the wind, uh, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Look, Peter failed. Okay, he got out of the boat, he took a few steps, got scared, and started to sink. Jesus had to reach out and save him. And it's tempting to look at that story and say, Ah, Peter, you bonehead, you messed up again, you failed. But did you notice in the story that nobody in that boat was calling Peter a failure? Nobody pointed the finger and said, Ah, you lack the faith, and you started to sink. Because despite his failure and his falling short, Peter still managed to do something that nobody, and I mean nobody, not Moses, not King David, not Elijah, not Elisha, nobody in the Old Testament had ever done. That dude walked on water. And the people in the boat are so amazed at who Jesus is, they don't care that Peter fell short. So maybe we get out of this boat and we fall short and we start to sink. Maybe we only take 5,000 steps in five years. And only 100 people become baptized. And only 100 people are plugged into a small group. And only 3,000 Jesus conversations take place. And only 250 people go out and bless this community with practical love in the name of Jesus. And are you starting to notice how none of that sounds like failure? Look, the people in the boat were just so amazed at who Jesus was. They didn't care that Peter fell short. And this community will react the same way because we are going to love them with the grace and the mercy of Jesus and show them just how much he cares. And when you witness that kind of love and you come into face-to-face contact with a living Jesus, who cares if that church that tried to take 10,000 steps only took five? Are you starting to see that there's actually no way we can fail at this? So long as Jesus is being praised, so long as people are knowing him, so long as they're being served in love and taking steps closer to him, there is no way we can fail. Well, there's one way, actually. And that's if we never have the faith to take the step and get out of the boat. Every journey begins with a single step. And this one's no different. A journey of 10,000 steps is is really just one step after another, after another, after another. And today, the step that starts this 10,000-step journey is yours. Last week, if you weren't here, I gave everybody a footstep. And I asked you to take that home and to pray about what your step would be, what God is calling you to do this year. I asked you to bring that back because we were going to do something special with it. Now I realize seven days have passed since then. You may well have forgotten it at home. Or maybe you couldn't be here last week because of the weather or whatnot. And so for that reason, we're going to give you an opportunity to just take some time and to reflect. We have some footprints available at the kiosk in the back corner. We're going to sing three songs, and and we want to give you the opportunity at any point during those songs, go get one of those footsteps and take it back to your seat and ask God, what is my step? Write it down. And then at any point, I want to invite you to put your step at the foot of the cross as a way of saying, I'm getting out of the boat, and this is my step closer to Jesus. And I'm part of this 10,000-step journey. And after you've put your foot at the base of the cross, I want to invite you to partake of communion.
take the bread and the cup, take it back to your seat, and take a moment just to praise Jesus for everything he has already done in you through the cross and everything he is going to do through you as part of this 10,000-step journey. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the life that he gives us. Thank you for how he has changed us and how he saves us. And thank you for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing, what he's doing in this world. We ask that you would put people in our path, that we might have the courage to speak up and talk about the one who saved us. We ask that you would put people on our path that we can love on and that we can serve and that we can show the grace and the mercy that we've been shown in Christ. And Father, we just pray that you would take these efforts and use them. Numbers are not important. What is important is that we take the step out of the boat and start living for you. Father, use us. That's our plea and our prayer. Amen.